Today we're reading from Srimad Bhagavatam. This is Canto 10, Chapter 70, Lord Krishna's Daily Activities. And Krishna uh, himself says in the Bhagavad Gita, Yad yada charati shreshas tatarebitarojana sayat pramanu kurute lokas tam anuvartate. Lokas means all the people of the world. Lokas tam anuvartate means they will follow the example of a great person. So Krishna, in his daily activities as a grahasta in Dwarka, set an example that he would get up at the time of Brahma Muhurta and he would then do his morning bhajan. And every day he had a way of going through his special transcendental routine to show others that this is the means by which one can elevate oneself. It's important to have a, a morning routine and not just be subjected to the whims of the mind when one wakes up in the morning because the mind can be in various moods. It can decide to do or not do. But under the strict rules of vaiti, or vaiti means strict rules, of sadhana bhakti, one should have a means to grab on as soon as one wakes up to a special routine, just like Lord Krishna set the example for us. That was weird. That Krishna set an example so that we could also follow in his footsteps. And when we have a regular morning routine, then we'll feel throughout the day enlivened that we've gotten off to a good start. So in the course of the Srimad Bhagavatam 10th Canto, we find out about Krishna, the person, and his daily life. The chapter before this, or a, chap a chapter before this, describes how Narada Muni went to see Krishna in Dwarka. And he already knew that Krishna is the supreme mystic. Narada is a great devotee of Krishna. But he wanted to see how much of a mystic he was. And he also, of course, as everyone is, is was constantly amazed by Krishna's powers. Cold air, cold, dry air. <laughs> Thank you. That's on your SAT, so please, or at least your IQ test. We need cold, dry air. CDA. Narada went to Dwarka, and in Dwarka, Krishna had established, I say established, manifested 16,108 palaces. Nowadays, when we go to wealthy neighborhoods, you might drive through and think, oh, look at that one, look at that one. Like last night through Palo Alto, we saw a few big houses here and there. But nothing compared to a palace. I mean, even on Avenue Road, right off Avenue Road, what's the name of the road? Roxborough. Roxborough's perhaps one of the most uh, wealthy neighborhoods in the world, Roxborough. And I like to walk up and down the street there and chant Joppa. And the houses are enormous, but Krishna's palaces were way bigger than that. Probably bigger than all of Roxborough put together. But he had 16,108 of them. And someone say, well, that sounds fantastical. 
Well, what, what else would you want from God? Would you want something where you said, oh, yeah, I, I could do that? No, you want something where you say, like, nobody could do that, and that's God. And Krishna does it easily because a swabhavika jnana balakriya he has multifarious energies. This is one of the important aspects of understanding Krishna. Krishna is not a homogeneous, conscious mass with no variety. But he has multifarious energies. Parasha shaktir vividaiva shriyate subhavika jnana balakriya cha. He simultaneously has his own individual identity, but he has multifarious energies that are also personified, that are his servants, that are working in every nook and corner of the spiritual world and, and the material world at the same time, simultaneously. This is his great opulence. And when Krishna comes to the material world, he manifests these potencies so that people can see and have something to think about. And when he manifests himself as God and shows his mystic powers, then there's no doubt he's the supreme personality of God. He lifted a hill when he was seven years old and held it aloft, not just on his finger, but on his little delicate fingernail for seven days. He just held it there and he killed many demons when he was just a child. And these were all just light play for the Lord, nothing strenuous. And manifesting these palaces, 16,108. So Krishna had married uh, um, eight queens in succession, starting with Ajambafati uh, around the pastime of the Shamtakajul. That's a section mentioned in the, the Srimad Bhagavatam, one after another, how he marries various wives, and then it's recalled again at Kurukshetra, you know, because everyone came to Kurukshetra to see Krishna, and all of his uh, wives were there also. So many, many people were meeting them for the first time, and they asked him, well, how, how did you marry Krishna? And if you want a summary, you can find in succession, each one of them tells her story about how she met Krishna, and was married to him. And then, of course, he rescued uh, 16,100 other queens uh, from Narakasura, who was actually his son, but he had to kill Narakasura because he'd become an out-and-out demon. And actually, that's another story because he had gone to... He had gone on a little uh, tour with Satyabhama. He invited Satyabhama to come along with him. He made a couple stops on the way. You know how when you go out for some errands and you do a few things, you stop here, there, like yesterday we went to, or day before, post office and somewhere else, I can't remember. Went to a few places. So Krishna, like, okay, he gets on Garuda and he took Satyabhama. Why do you take Satyabhama? Because... Satyabhama uh, is uh, qu quite, uh, she's, she's got a hot emotion. And when she saw that uh, Rukmini had received, actually it was through Narada Muni, a flower from heaven. You know, the heavenly flowers are better than the ones we get here. 
And there's a tree called Pariyajata. And I think you can get them here now, too. I think Radhavinkat gave me one. I have it in my greenhouse. But I think the heavenly ones are a slightly different breed. In any case, when Rukmini, when Narada gave Rukmini one flower, Satyabhama became miffed. She was really upset and showed it. So Krishna, to appease her, decided to take her along to the heavenly planets. He was returning some things that Narakasura had stolen also from residents of the heavenly planets. And he also wanted to give Satyabhama, his queen who had this uh, mood of, of uh, <clears throat> rivalry with others, uh, Parijata, but not just a flower, the whole tree. So he had done these things and in killing uh, Narakasura, after he killed Narakasura, and actually, as I was going to mention, he needed Satyabhama to come along. First of all, she is adventurous. Not only she's, is she hot-tempered, but she likes to see action. So he thought, Let's, I'll bring her along, and when I fight with this big demon, Narakasura, which is quite a, a, a fight, one that you could make an action movie out of for sure, uh, there were uh, <clears throat> wires he had to cut through, and all kinds of other people came out to fight, and Narakasura then finally came, and he needed consent from Satyabhama to kill Narakasura because Narakasura was the son of Krishna, begotten when Varahadev picked up the earth. As Varahadev had saved the, the earth from the nether regions and in the process of coming in contact with Bhumi, earth, they had produced a son and he had become demoniac later. So parents don't worry if anything. Um, then he had promised Bhumi that if I ever have to slay him, I'll take your permission first. Sometimes the wives, they'll do this, they'll say, now listen, in the future, if this ever comes up, you have to, <laughs> you, make, you promise now. So, no? You didn't get that? Nobody? Um, so Bhumi is an expansion of Satyabhama. So that, that would work legally. And just before Narakasura attacked and Krishna was going to slay him, what do you think? Kill him. And then he was able to kill him and uphold his promise to Bhumi. point I'm getting to is that he had stolen away 16,100 princesses and they were being held uh, unlawfully by this demon. And they, when they saw Krishna come in, the supreme male, so attractive, and they all said, please save us. Please save us. Please just give us shelter. And of course, Krishna is known as, we say, hey Krishna, Karuna Sindo, Dina Bando Jagatbate. He's the ocean of mercy. So when he hears somebody call out and say, Krishna, please save me. I want shelter. I don't want anybody else. That's the mood. That's all you have to have in bhakti. It's just, Krishna, I like you. I don't like anybody else. I don't like the material world anymore. I just want you. I just want devotional service. Please save me. Please give me shelter. That was the mood of the queens. So they immediately, Krishna accepted them, and he brought them back to Dwarka, and he also gave them each their own palace. He didn't cram them all in one auditorium and say, you know, find a place on the floor. He, he 
gave them a, a fully equipped palace. What's more, it's not that they had to wait for him. He expanded himself so that he was in every palace in Dwarka simultaneously, all at the same time. Narada had heard about this. He wanted to see it for himself. So he went to Dwarka. He went around on a pilgrimage to the various palaces where Krishna lived. And in the first place, Narada came. Krishna, who was being fanned by Rukmini, saw Narada coming, and he got down and uh, came out of his house and bowed down to Narada to set an example. And everyone knew that Krishna was setting an example because he's namo brahmanya devaya go brahmana hitaya cha govindaya namo namaha. This is Krishna uh, shows respect, worships the brahmanas, the highest uh, those in the highest consciousness who are dedicated only to him. And to show the example to the world, he invited Narada, he washed his feet, he, he did artik for him, he took the water, sprinkled it on his head, and Rukmini's head, and so forth. And Narada saw how Krishna was engaged in that palace, and then he went to the next one. And every place he went, although it's the same Krishna, just expanded in different palaces, Krishna would act like it was the first time he saw Narada. And not only that, Krishna saw that, uh, Narada saw that Krishna was engaged in each place in a unique activity. Some place he was playing chess, some place he was talking to Uddhava about a strategy, some type place he was playing with his children, riding on his back and things like that. And so he went around from, from palace to palace and saw and was amazed by how Krishna's mystic powers were working, that he was there manifested all at the same time. Meanwhile, in his daily activities, as is this described, in fact, one should wake up and meditate upon whom? You say, just say Krishna. If you don't know the answer, just say Krishna. Say Krishna. So who does Krishna meditate on? Himself. He wakes up and meditates. But Prabhupada points out, we shouldn't do that. Don't get up and meditate on yourself. It's like, <laughs> get up and meditate on Krishna. And when we meditate on Krishna, Om Apavitra Pavitrova Sarvavastan Katopiva Yasmaret Pundarikaksham Sabaya Abhyantarashuchi. Whatever condition of life we're in, and we can find ourselves in some pretty strange situations in life, right? Yeah, you never know how. I always feel and remember this phrase uh, that such and such left you to twist in the wind. Have you ever heard that phrase before? As if, you know, something like a flag is left on a pole and the big wind comes in it. You've heard it, right, Ekachakapran? You twist in the wind as if you're just uh, left to your own devices and you get all tangled up, the wind twists you around and you're in knots and there's nothing you can do about it. That's what it means to be left to twist in the wind. So we're basically left to twist in the wind of the three modes of material nature here. So what can you do about it? Well, when you wake up in the morning, meditate on Krishna. Because whatever situation you're in, pure or impure, apavitra pavitrova. So apavitra means you're not pure. And pavitra means you are pure. So either way, you should meditate on Krishna. 
Om apavitra pavitrava sarvavastan. Whatever, wherever you're situated, pure or impure. Or you may be pure, but you may be in an impure place, right? Have you ever had that happen? You're following carefully, you're chanting, you're in good consciousness, but then you end up stuck somewhere. Have you ever been stuck somewhere in an impure place? You can remember where? One example, no. Then he said, Sarvavastan, wherever you're situated in any place, pure or impure, if you remember Krishna, then you'll become pure inside and out. Everything will become purified around you. So if you get up and do what Krishna does, meditate on Krishna, then you'll become pure. Now, one day while Krishna was going about his business, a messenger came from the palace of, actually he wasn't apparently, no one had seen him before. He was new there in Dwarka, a new face, but he came as a messenger, and messengers are respected. You're not supposed to kill the messenger, right? And the messenger came there to, on behalf of the kings who had been imprisoned by Jarasandha. And the prayers that they offer are instructive for all of us because we all have our little kingdoms, right? Or queendoms. We all have some, something we feel this is my property. This body, at least, is my property, right? I get to keep it. No, you don't. Uh, this money, this money I work so hard for, that I must be able to keep. No, you can't keep it. The, what else do, you, do we have that we think we can keep? My reputation. I've got such a good rep- reputation. Nobody can ruin Oh, yes, they can. Your reputation can go down the drain anytime. Anything else? Family. My family, these are mine. My family. Can you keep them? You don't get to keep them. So the, uh, the kings, a king means, and this is mentioned actually in the Srimad Bhagavatam at the end of uh, the fourth canto, that the Bhagavatam brings up many stories of kings because especially at that time when kings were prevalent, everyone thought, oh, live like a king. I wish I could live like that. But then when you hear the inside story of what the kings are going through, then you think, oh, okay, maybe not. Or maybe it's okay just to be me and do what I do and let me be Krishna conscious. And so these kings had this, had these, had this revelation a collective revelation, and they all uh, signed a list of prayers that they wanted to offer to Krishna there in Dwarka, even as they were imprisoned. Somehow they snuck it out. Starts at 22. Okay, the pages flipped themselves. Good, thank you. So I'm taking you up uh, as Krishna's engaged. Now you already know he's engaged in his daily activities, going about his transcendental. Be- business, and then this happens in Dwarka. Once a certain person arrived in the assembly, O king, who had never been seen there before, the doorkeepers announced him to the Lord and then escorted him inside. That person bowed down to Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and with joined palms he described to the Lord how a number of kings were suffering because Jarasandha had imprisoned them. 20,000 kings who had refused to submit absolutely to Jarasunda during his world conquest 
had been forcibly imprisoned by him in the fortress named Girivraj. Srila Vishnath Chakravarti points out that these kings refused the payment of tribute and other forms of submission to Jarasandha. Also, there is a well-known account of the Mahabharata and other literatures that Jarasandha desired to worship Mahabhai Rama by offering him the lives of 1,000 kings in sacrifice. What a demon. 25. The king said, as related through their messenger, O Krishna, Krishna, O immeasurable soul, destroyer of fear for those surrendered to you, despite our separatist attitude, we have come to you for shelter out of fear of material existence. Sridhar Swami explains that the kings present present their entreaty in this and the following verses. In this verse, they take shelter of the Lord. In the next three verses, they describe their fear. And in the last two verses, they make their prayerful requests. So here they're taking shelter. This is their first, when, as they address Krishna, they're, they're telling him, we want your shelter. And then they'll tell what's going on in their lives, why they're afraid. So that's important. Prabhupada writes in a commentary that we should tell the Lord what we're going through. Who else are you going to tell it to? Because most people go, huh? Okay, well, I hope it turns out okay. It's a cruel world. Krishna's the only one who can do anything about it. He's the suhrit, the best friend within our heart. So why not tell him our fears and what we're going through? And then finally, it says here, the last two verses, they make a prayerful request. So this is important also, to ask Krishna for something, something transcendental, some service, or ways to have, please direct me how I can come to you, and so forth. So this is a nice formula that we can take with us, isn't it? First, express that I'm taking shelter. Because when you come to a great personality, it should be pranipat, which means you're already surrendered. You've already ascertained that I'm going to go there in a mood of surrender. So pranipatena, prayprashnena sevaya. Then you ask some question, and then you render some service. So this is, a, this is how to get things done in this world. We can't do anything ourselves. We're very dependent on, on so many people. Devarshi, Bhutatman, Rinam, Pritinam, all the Pitris, the, the forefathers, the demigods, and the animals, everyone we have to depend on for support. And Krishna is the head of all of them. So it makes good sense to go to Krishna and ask these things. So 26, they continue. People in this world are always engaged in sinful activities and are thus bewildered about their real duty, which is duty, which is to worship you according to your commandments. This activity would truly bring them good fortune. Let us offer our obeisances unto the all-powerful Lord, who appears as time and suddenly cuts down one's stubborn hope for a long life in this world. Purport. Lord Krishna states in the Bhagavad Gita 9.27, yet karoshi edashnashi, yet juhosi dadasi yat, yet tapasyasi kaunteyat tat kurushva manarpinam. Whatever you do, whatever you eat, whatever you offer or give away, and whatever austerities you perform, do that, O Sonu Kunti, as an offering to me. 
This is the Supreme Lord's commandment, but people in general are bewildered and neglect this auspicious activity, preferring instead to perform sinful activities that lead them to terrible suffering. The Krishna consciousness movement is working to enlighten the world about this most essential activity of loving service to the Lord. They continue, You are the predominating Lord of the universe and have descended into this world with your personal power to protect the saintly and suppress the wicked. We cannot understand, O Lord, how anyone can transgress your law and still continue to enjoy the fruits of his work. Sridhar Swami explains that the kings were bewildered by the suffering that had come upon them. So that's a very profound statement. Sridhar Swami explains that the kings were bewildered by the suffering that had come upon him, uh, them. This is an expectation that I have, that no suffering should come upon me. Come upon other people, no problem. But me? I'm the king. And I'm special. Why should anything come to me in this world? And this expectation is a cause of inordinate suffering. I was thinking the other night about how Krishna's given such clear blanket statement about how the material world is unpredictable. Well, it is predictable. It's a place of suffering, he says. Categorically, Abrahma Bhuvana Loka. He went out of his way to name from the highest planet Brahma Loka down to the lowest planet Patala. That's a very that's demonstrative, isn't it? When you say from New York City to San Francisco, there's not one person there that can play the cartels or whatever it is. He makes some statement that's demonstrative. So when Krishna comes out and says. Except for Madhuri Saki. Uh, it's, when it comes to Krishna, he's saying, uh, from the topmost planet down to the lowest planet, Patala Loka, all are places of suffering where repeated birth take place. And it just goes like this. That means it went over my head. Yeah, but not me. My expectation, I'm a king, or I'm a, my name is you know, Schwartz, or my name is Anderson, or my name is McMurphy. So it never happens to the McMurphys. We have good luck. So that's the false expectation of hope that I I don't fall in the category of Brahma Loka to Patala Loka. But that's a expectation that causes us uh, to miss the boat. I'll continue. They state here that since the Lord has descended to this world to protect the pious and punish the wicked, how is it that Jarasunda, who brazenly transgressed the order of the Lord, continued to perform his wicked activities, whereas the kings were put into a miserable condition? Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur similarly states that the kings could not understand how Jarasunda, who harassed the saintly devotees and nourished the envious, could continue to prosper whereas the kings were being tormented by the wicked Jarasandha. Similarly, Srila Prabhupada quotes the kings as follows in Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. My dear Lord, you are the proprietor of all the worlds, and you have incarnated yourself along with your plenary expansion, Lord Balaram. It is said that your appearance in this incarnation is for the purpose of protecting the faithful and destroying the miscreants. 
Under the circumstances, how is it possible that miscreants like Jarasundha can put us into such deplorable conditions of life against your authority? We are puzzled at the situation and cannot understand how it is possible. It may be that Jarasundha has been deputed to give us such trouble because of our past misdeeds, but we have heard from revealed scriptures that anyone who surrenders unto your lotus feet immediately becomes immune to the reactions of sinful life. We, therefore, wholeheartedly offer ourselves unto your shelter, and we hope that your lordship will now give us full protection. They continue, O Lord, with this corpse-like body, always full of fear, we bear the burden of the relative happiness of kings, which is just like a dream. Thus we have rejected the real happiness of the soul, which comes by rendering selfless service to you. Being so wretched, we simply suffer in this life under the spell of your illusory energy. Everyone okay? You have enough air? Yeah? You need more entertainment? <laughs> Everyone's good, right? Purport. After expressing their doubts in the previous verse, the kings herein admit that actually they are suffering because of their own foolishness, having given up the eternal happiness of the soul in exchange for the temporary conditional happiness of a so-called kingly position. Most people make a similar mistake desiring wealth, power, prestige, aristocratic family, and so on in exchange for their own soul. The kings admit that they have fallen under the spell of the Lord's illusory energy and have mistaken the tremendous anxiety of political leadership for happiness. Keep in mind, they're imprisoned and they're expressing this out of a great realization that this, they, they can see the abject suffering of the material world. They continue, Therefore, since your feet relieve the sorrow of, these, of those who surrender to them, please release us prisoners from the shackles of karma, manifest as, as the king of Magadha. So that's the, the agent of their suffering, is the king of Magadha. So they put it like that. And once this uh, person named um, Peter Burwash, he was a businessman, and he had Peter Burwash International. It was an international tennis organization. He was a pro-tennis player, became a devotee, and then he started his own company. And he lived in Hawaii for a while. And recently, before he passed away a couple of years ago, he lived down in near Carmel. Peter Burwash. So I got to know him quite well because we used to both go to the Festival of Inspiration at New Vrindavan. Remember that? Back in the old days? Remember the old days? So somehow or other, we had some kind of karmic con connection. Twice, I got on an airplane once early in the morning in Toronto. I sat down in my seat and it was Peter Burwash next to me. There was no earthly connection why he should have been there at the same time. If that wasn't enough, I got, Nirkul and I were flying somewhere and we were going out of Den Denver, and I sat down in my seat, window seat, and then I was minding my own business, chanting my chad, and somebody tapped me on the shoulder and said, nobody should tap me on the shoulder. You know, when you sit in a seat on an airplane, you. That's it, you know, no talking and no touching. So somebody's tap, 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 and I thought, this is crazy. And I looked over, 
It's Peter Burwash, and he said, "What?" Are, he said that the odds just went way up, right? Didn't this jack them way up to the moon? Because the first one was amazing, and then the second one, how does that happen twice? Sat down next to him. And anyway, Peter Burwash, interesting character. He got association with Prabhupada in Hawaii. He asked him about business and all kinds of things. And when he was just pretty new, he, he wanted to become a life member. So there was a temple president there who wasn't in good consciousness, and he, he took his donation for life membership and absconded with it the next day. So Peter Burwash uh, went to Prabhupada directly, and he said, this happened. And he was quite upset. And although it was rectified, later Prabhupada said, don't be upset with the instrument of your karma. And that became the guiding mantra in his life. In fact, he'd give a whole seminars on it, because Prabhupada told him that. He said, don't become upset with the instrument of your karma. And then we find similarly here how they mention Jarasandha. He's, they say, therefore, since your feet relieve the sorrow of those who surrender them, please release us prisoners from the shackles of karma manifest as the king of Magadha. In other words, somehow or other, this is our karma, but it's manifest through this one person. So this is one of the ways to see the world when there's some sort of reversal visited, us, visited upon us, then we may think, okay, well, it's not that person. It's, it's my situation in general in, in the material world. They go on, uh, wielding alone the prowess of 10,000 maddened elephants. He, Jarsunda, has locked us up in his house just as a lion captures sheep. So how does that feel when you're a king and then somebody comes along and says, come on, little fella, get in there. And then you're stuck. And then you, you just feel like, I'm, I thought I was literally the king. And now I'm helpless. The kings here pray for the Lord to release them from the bondage of karma created by the Lord's material potency. The kings make it clear that Jarasandha is so powerful that there is no hope for them to escape by their own power. So that's a good a realization to have. One of the ways that I prolong my stay in the material world is I think, I got this. In fact, that's the main mantra of people on the street. Have a look at Bhagavad Gita. I'm fine. I've got this. I'm already good. I'm good. No, you're not, actually. I'm, we don't say that, but <laughs> we can say it to ourselves also. There's a sense like, I, I can get out of this. I have enough money. I'm smart. Uh, I'm a McMurphy. Uh, I'm a, a Schwartz. I'm a whatever you may be. You can't get out of it. These kings couldn't get out of it. They had resources, and they're smart. Kings are smart. And most of them. And then, then they couldn't get out. They realized they're helpless. So realizing and then admitting one's helplessness, this is such a relief, isn't it? When you finally say, I'm helpless, I can't get out of this on my own, please help. This is a great day in the life of a jiva. Okay, here we go. Almost done. Where are we, 30? A wielder of the disc. Your strength is unlimited, and thus 17 times you crushed Jarasunda in battle. But then absorbed in human affairs, you allowed him to defeat you once. Now he's so filled with pride that he dares to torment us. Your subjects, O oh, unconquerable one, please rectify this situation. The word nri lo 
loka niratam, indicates that the Lord was absorbed in playing within the world of human beings. Thus, while acting like a human being, a human king, he allowed Jarasandha to be victorious in a single battle against the Lord. Had crushed after the Lord had crushed him seventeen times. The kings here imply that Jarasandha is especially harassing them because their souls surrender unto Lord Krishna. Therefore, they beg the Lord, "O you who hold the chakra weapon high, please make the proper arrangement." Srila Prabhupada expresses the king's feelings as follows. My dear Lord, you have already fought with Jarasandha 18 times consecutively, out of which you have defeated him 17 times by surpassing his extraordinary powerful position. But in your 18th fight, you exhibited your human behavior, and thus it appears that you were defeated. My dear Lord, we know very well that Jarasandha cannot defeat you at any time, because your power, strength, resources, and authority are all unlimited. No one can equal you or surpass you. The appearance of defeat by Jarasandha in the 18th engagement is nothing but an exhibition of human behavior. Unfortunately, foolish Jarasandha could not understand your tricks, and he has since then become puffed up over his material power and prestige. Specifically, he has arrested us and imprisoned us, knowing... fully that as your devotees we are subordinate to your sovereignty first thing what a demonic atti- attitude he knew Jarasandha knew that because they were devotees let's really harass them that's the demoniac mentality and uh, meanwhile in the 18th time that Jarasandha attacked of course there was there was a dual attack on Dwarka at that time because Kaliavana also came with his minions, and he was a powerful person. He, they had, uh, his father had, uh, Garga, had performed severe austerities. Now, here's something if you want to try sometime for severe austerity. He ate powdered iron for 12 years. What's for breakfast, Mom? <laughs> powdered iron <laughs> for 12 years until he received... A benediction from Shiva, and what was the benediction? I want to have a son who will harass the the Yadu dynasty. What a waste of time, huh? And uh, but in any case, Lord Shiva gave him the benediction. He got this son Kaliavana, who was had had the power of Rudra, Rudra's anger, and he came there because he also was puffed up. When you get a lot of power in the material world, it's a tough position. Even at the Daksha Yagya. We hear about the devastation that took place because of the quarreling. I mean, that's uh, quarreling, what's that, a euphemism. Uh, the quarreling that took place there at the Daksha Yagya. And uh, Prabhupada says they actually weren't inimical, but they're also powerful that they wanted to exhibit their power against one, one another just to, sh- just to feel it. So that's a, if you feel powerless at some time, you're lucky. Because there's a way in which anytime you give little jiva a little power, it goes to his head. The, a sociologist philosopher named Michel, you've heard me say a million times, uh, Michel's Iron Laws of Oligarchy says that as soon as you give power to somebody, then immediately goes to their head and they try to protect that power because it's, it's uh, so intoxicating. They want to keep it. 
So that's why Kunti said, let me just be the one who doesn't have anything. All I do is follow my spiritual master. All I do is follow Krishna's instructions. If you messed up, well, at least I was trying to do Krishna's will when I messed up. If you mess up when you're trying to do your will, you get sued and you're going to lose. If you're following Krishna, if you're following orders uh, of Krishna, not some demon, then you actually are uh, not held accountable for anything in this material world. So it's better to be bereft, be like these kings and just say, hey, although I'm a supposed king, I really don't have anything. I'm bereft of all opulence. Any money? If you have money, anyone? See me afterwards. Uh, <laughs> if you have money, don't think it's yours because it's not. And you think, this belongs to Krishna. We heard it earlier, right? At That's everything that we have, everything that we do, it belongs to Krishna. Safe position. Don't stick your nose in the material world and think like, no, it's okay. I can do it. You can't. The kings couldn't do it. We can't do it. Almost there. 31, right? Yes? Only three people know where we are. The messenger continued... This is the message of the kings imprisoned by Jarasandha who all hanker for your audience, having surrendered to your lotus feet. Please bestow good fortune upon them. Shukadeva Goswami said, when the king's messenger had thus spoken, the sage of the demigods Narada suddenly appeared bearing a mass of golden matted locks on his hair. Don't get any ideas. The supremely effulgent sage entered like the brilliant sun. No dreadlocks. Okay. So uh, um, this is instructive, and it's a real-life situation. One way or another, we'll uh, come to a cul-de-sac in the material world where we'll feel helpless and we'll be afraid. And this is how to respond to it, by praying to Krishna for shelter. And those who are really intelligent... They do it preemptively. So there's a, a German philosopher named Hegel, and he coined a phrase, or somebody coined it for him from German, that says, die to live. Die to live. It's an interesting phrase. It sounds a little bit, uh, uh, it's a little jarring, isn't it? Die to live. Like, Leave me alone. Uh shaker. Uh Die to live means renounce uh, internally the idea that I own and control things. You won't be the loser. Just like Vrajabihari Prabhu once said, the wise Vrajabihari Prabhu, the great mediator, you know, Iskan Resolve? You never heard of Iskan Resolve? They solve problems. If somebody has a dispute, you call Iskan Resolve and they have mediators there that come and intervene and they talk to both sides and they work it all out. And they answer their phone if you call them, Iskand Resolve, get over it. Yeah, that's just an inside joke. But he's, he once said, you never lose credit by giving credit where credit is due. Where is credit due in this world? Ultimately Krishna, right? Everything's Krishna's energy, yes? Ishavasyamidam sarvam. Everything's covered. It's already in the policy. 
Everything here belongs to Krishna. At least you get that policy when you're born. They give you a little policy when you're a kid. If you lost it, you can find it again in the Sri Shapanishad. It's there in the first verse. It's like, here's your policy, little jiva. Your policy is <laughs> nothing belongs to you. Okay? Like, no, I want, I want stuff. And little jiva, work with me here. And then, <laughs> jiva, nothing belongs to you, but... Everything that you need is set aside for you. Is that all right? It's like, no, I, I want more than that. <laughs> so if we go back to the policy, read the policy carefully, and then just sign off on it and say, okay, I admit this, that everything belongs to Krishna. Everything's controlled and owned. That's important, two things, controlled and owned by the Lord. You can't control it, you can't own it. It's such a relief. You'll sleep like a baby tonight. Anybody lose any sleep lately? Say yes. yes. Yeah, I know. I know how it is. You know, you know, it's like you, know, you wake up, it's like, uh-oh, what about that? It's like, two hours later, what about this? You know, it's like, that guy hates me too. And so one thing after another, you know, we get an anxiety. But if you just follow the policy, go back and what these kings have done and said, Krishna, it belongs to you. It's not me, it's you. And uh, I thought I was a king, but I'm not a king. I thought I controlled and owned. I don't control and own. It's all you. It's all at your glory. And I'm just going to follow your instructions from now on. And that's it. And if we take that, then uh, we can admit it to the Lord. And then we get, uh, paradoxically, great power in this world. You look at those who walk in the world. Like I was thinking about Narada Muni this morning. How did he, he goes everywhere. No restriction whatsoever. Why? Because he already sign the policy. If you sign the policy and say, that's it, it's all for Krishna, then you can go anywhere, they let you in, any place. It's like you just walk in and it's like, oh yeah, he signed, come in. You, because what people are afraid of is those who look at your stuff and they go like, well maybe that your stuff now, but maybe it'll be my stuff a little later. I'll take your stuff for me. And that's what everyone's fighting over in the world, is my stuff, that's your stuff, no, let's fight about it. But those who know that everything belongs to Krishna and they've embraced that, they become dhira dhira jana priyo priyakaro. They're dear to everyone. Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita also, someone who controls their senses, which means that they've signed it over to Krishna, they're dear everywhere to everyone, wherever they go, because there's no threat from such a person that they're going to encroach upon our stuff. So, those are a few ideas. I have a couple more ideas I'd like to bring up that are more on a practical level. So, Kitapri, if you speak Tagalog, don't go out of the room. She doesn't speak Tagalog. Uh, okay, the main bigger idea is I have this vision about creating a, a language hub. You know, you can go, it's okay. <laughs> I was just kidding around. Uh, a language hub. I told Malini, didn't I? Something about it? Okay, so there's a lot of uh, people who speak various languages in the world, right? And our mission statement from Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is every town and... That means every language. I picked that up from one of our Live to Give celebrations. Somebody brought it up. I can't remember whom, but it was in one of the lectures, I said, that is brilliant. A brilliant interpretation of every town and village is every language. Because villages are defined 
Cities are defined, societies, communities are defined by their culture. The language is the main part of the culture. If you don't believe me, learn a few lines in, a, in another language, go to a neighborhood and just say those lines and immediately they'll invite you in and say, come on in, you can be part of our family now. So what I th think would be helpful is a centralized location where, first of all, we, we catalog all the languages of the world and we list them, every language there is. And then we match up how many of the languages have we translated Srila uh, uh, Prabhupada's books into. It's a very small percentage, I'm sure, right? Somebody look it up right away. How many languages are there in the world? And then how many languages do we have Prabhupada's books in? And then I was thinking this morning, what gets measured gets done or improved, either way. And if we have a list of all the languages that we want to put Prabhupada's books into, and we also have a list of how far they've come along. Like some places, they just have like a little magazine or something. Bhagavatam, Bhagavad Gita, Nectar Devotion. They're all just, they're ready for somebody to take up. Isn't it? Say yes. So uh, this would be a place where we gather together uh, leaders. Of, uh, people will take uh, responsibility to help organize uh, under the banner of a particular language. Like we have our Adinath Krishna Prabhu who's uh, working to organize a group here uh, that uh, greatly expands the distribution of uh, literatures written in Spanish, correct? Yes, that's true. And what's more, he and his team members, a fantastic team also, by the way, I saw the team, they're working to bring in people, uh, f starting with North America, from every place in North America where we can uh, uh, gain some insight into the demographics there and say, okay, there's at least 40,000 Spanish-speaking people in Picatown that has 40,000 Spanish-speaking people. Where? Detroit? Gilroy. Gilroy has more than 40,000 Spanish-speaking people, but let's say we take Gilroy, and we, then we say, how will we systematically approach all of those people in Gilroy with, with uh, literature? Uh, then we also have our Arabic. You're in charge of Arabic and Farsi. And we've developed uh, a, a nice team here to distribute Arabic. You've developed a nice team here to develop... Arabic, Farsi, languages. Uh, how many people on your team here? Five core members, 10 in times of expansion uh, during the marathon. Western Sankirtan helps out. But in any case, there's, there's a specific idea that will expand. We'll make sure we have an inventory. We'll distribute them to other people, right? And then you would also start to bring in people from various parts of North America to the language hub where the, well, you'd have your own that's specifically for Arabic and those Middle Eastern languages. And then also, they would nexus in the language hub where all the leaders all over the world meet to make sure that the various languages are not only going out, but also that uh, somehow or other, we're connecting with those who can bring in translators to bring it up to speed. Do you see, the, in general, the sketch? Is it all right? but not, not that good, right? Just on a scale of one to 10, Kotukarnava, 10? 
11. Okay. All right. So now here's something, and that is that, uh, does anybody here speak Tagalog? Maganan maga. Say good morning. Maganan hapon. Good afternoon. Maganan gabi. Good evening. So we have an opportunity in the Philippines right now. We just found out about it. There's barely any books translated into, into Tagalog or Cebuano. Tagalog is the main language, and there's some other dialects there like Cebuano, but it's an open slate. Now, just think of somebody who wants to be a spiritual entrepreneur. I do. I want to take on the Philippines into a, a portfolio and see how we can take it from zero to 60, how fast we can bring it up and get some languages translated, and then uh, we can inspire a revolution in distribution. I'm just giving an example. Philippines is one place. There's so many countries around the world that you can take on and, uh, and develop. Become a project where then you can go there on a regular basis to the Philippines, as an example, and then organize the Sankirtan party there, uh, interact with people who, who could be translating and the BBT trustees who would oversee that region to help with the resources to make sure it all comes together. And imagine putting that on your portfolio, that you have in your portfolio. What's in your portfolio? I got the Philippines. Give, give me another place that may not be developed yet. Where? Samoa? Samoa. You've got the Philippines, Samoa. Where else do you want? And you want Fiji? I'll give you Fiji. <laughs> Whole world's open. Everyone's sitting around thinking like, oh, woe is me. You got to go out and, and get it. So we have a master plan, and this, this is one of the aspects of it. We have to work towards all the languages and then triage and find where are the main places. We've got English pretty well under, uh, pretty well going. French needs to be greatly expanded, and you need uh, Mandarin expansion. You coat those three languages, you cover most of the world as far as language goes. Then you start picking out through you know, an AI analyzation what in order would be, at least quantitatively, the places that you would go next. And then we think qualitatively and strategically what would go next. And we'll have a, a control to look at the whole thing and see how the, that we're moving up. Okay, now we'll take a few comments about anything. Yes, Melanie. Hare Krishna. Since you're asking, I was looking up. There are 7,139 officially known languages. Only. That's doable, right? That's nothing. I mean, imagine if we, we, we look to have every town and village and, and we focus in on at least the part that, that we could do that would be consequential. 7,139. 139. And do you have the number for how many BBT languages we have? 87. Okay, so how many do we have left over? 7,052? 7, There's 7,052 languages. Shard, give a mic all the way back. So write it down. This is the preliminary parts. We have to make a chart of this. We'll see who wants to take all these different languages on. Right? Yes. I want to make it one better. There's actually just 293 written languages. So it has okay, a Okay, put that down. 293 lit written languages. So not 7,000. So it's easier now. Oh, now it's really doable, right? And uh, Srila Prabhupada has covered 
28% of those languages. 28% covered already. We have a chart going. Other comments, questions? When can I go? That's your next question. You want to go to the Philippines? Yeah? Okay. Oh, Subhadra was next. She had her hand up for it. Go ahead, Subhadra, and then we'll go to Madhuri Saki. I was just remembering when you were talking about Peter Burwash that one of the girls in my Bhaktin ashram in L.A. in 1979, her name was Amy, and she was a tennis player, and she became Amrita. She was made a devotee by Peter Burwash. He, he made a lot of devotees, actually, because he, uh, his whole organization, you, you had to follow the four regulator principles if you're going to be an employee. And he also advocated, not really openly, chanting, because he was a little private, but those who would come close, he would bring them closer to, to Krishna consciousness. Yeah, thanks. You knew him from Hawaii, right? No, I didn't know him. Okay. I just knew the girl that he, he had an effect to... on people. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much, Subhadra. Okay, Madhuri Saki. Hey, Krishna. So my roommate actually speaks Tagalog, and um, she teaches students who are interested in it. And I was thinking just like how we learn to um, recite shlokas and memorize them to better understand our spiritual practices. Similarly, when we go out on book distribution, we can see if we can have small language groups so devotees can learn a little bit and get a little fluent in different languages. And that way they can connect more to individuals when they're preaching. Excellent idea. It was actually thought of already by the Mormons. They have some of the best language training in the world. Before they send out their elders, they send them out in pairs to go around the world to spend at least two years in a location. So let's say if we picked two of you and we'd say, like if you're Mormons, we'd say two of you are going to go to the Philippines for two years. And basically you fend for yourself over there. They don't give them a huge amount of resource. You have to use your wits to go there. And then they would train you in Tagalog. So when you land there and you walk around, you'd be able to speak the language. And when you get back, too, there'd be a job waiting for you, too, if you were Mormon. That's another thing. Um, okay, yes. Chuck Adola is here. It's cold out there in New Delhi, huh? Yes, Oh, wait a minute. You'll be happy to know I'm drinking Kara right now. He introduced me to Kara. And he taught Nirkula how to make it. So go ahead, Chakadola. Gurumaraji, I have two realizations. I was thinking, like, uh, for one flower of Parijat, Krishna had to give uh, Satyavama Mata the whole tree. If Krishna would have killed a Narkasur without Satyavama's permission, then he would have to give Satyavama so many Narkasur to please her. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was also thinking that uh, how devotees are so clever, like in the prayers of the kings, they are saying, Krishna, that uh, uh, you are protector of the devotees and uh, you are killer of the demons. Then in the purple, it is saying that they are indirectly saying, Krishna, that uh, how it is that now, now we are... Uh, Suffering and uh, Jarasandhi is still alive. So devotees are very clever. <laughs> yeah, and just after that, we'll find in this chapter that Krishna consults with Uddhava and says, so how should we do this? How are we going to get it done with the Jarasandha? He defers to Uddhava's 
intelligence, he was a disciple of Brihaspati. Divya, Divya Agarwal, from Atlanta? Hare Krishna, Maharaj. Okay. Yes, I'm from Atlanta. Hare Krishna. Thank you very much for uh, joining. Yeah, I have a question. Please. Uh, when you're in difficulty, if when you're in difficulty, uh, like we have two choices. Either we say this is Krishna's will and it's the reaction of my karma, so I'll just tolerate, or we ask Krishna for help and say that we are helpless and uh, you know we you know we can't come out of the situation by ourselves so what is a better uh, option is a very interesting question and one of the ways that prayer helps us although krishna is aware of our situation and he also knows what to do when we when we articulate to krishna what our situation is and how we need help although he's always aware of our needs and he's always attentive to our needs then we also become aware of the ways in which Krishna is helping us. When we just go on with our lives and we don't really, we just think I'll deal with it myself or maybe Krishna will deal with it in, in his own way, uh, we may not be as aware of Krishna. But as Gajendra says in his prayers, Krishna, you're always there. It's just now when I need help, I'm reaching out to you and... Uh, it's not that previously you weren't there available and ready to help me or even interested in my case. He's always interested in our case. He's never indifferent, says Gajendra. He said, he's, you're never lazy. He uses that word, that he's not lazy about our deliverance. He's fully involved. So when, when we articulate our need, when we say, oh, Krishna, please help me, here's the situation I'm in. He knows that already. But it helps to establish our relationship with Krishna when we do that. Because it's a two-way relationship. He's offering help, but we also have to be demonstrative in reaching out to take that help. So when, our, when we make a prayer, that, oh my Lord, I'm in this situation, please help me, we become more dedicated to Krishna and our relationship with him. So that's very helpful also. And it helps to really clarify for ourselves, although Krishna also knows our desires, but when, when our desires become very clear and unmuddled, they're, they're not mixed with anything else. And one of the best ways to do that is to say it. Say, this, is what I, this is what I really want. And even your mind's going, wait a minute, don't say that. You might get what you ask for. You said it, and then it can't be taken back. It's all recorded. And Krishna says, okay, you're giving me permission now. Because he's very conscientious about not interfering with our freedom. Samaham sarvabhuteshu name dveshostinapriya said, I'm equal to everyone, whatever you want. Uh, I'll, I'll accommodate you. I'll arrange for that. So when we say it, or even put it in writing, then it's indelible. And then uh, the whole relationship is, becomes clearer, and Krishna's uh, permission to take over in that situation becomes more pronounced as well. So both is true. Krishna already knows, and we don't necessarily have to ask, but if we do, it enhances our relationship, and it makes it more clear to Krishna that we really do want help, and he can intervene. Is that okay? You can ask yes. a follow-up right. question. The one that's written on your countenance, go ahead. <laughs> I think I'm satisfied with the answer. So. One thing is it's, it's a very direct experience. 
uh, you know, Radhika Raman Prabhu, and I asked him if he still had it, because I, unfortunately, I don't think it was recorded. He gave a class on prayer in New Vrindavan once. It was very helpful, nice class, analyzing prayer, as all his classes are. And by the way, he'll be there, be here next week, and, right? So, if you're working, call in sick. If you got something else to do, cancel it. Uh, be here for Radhika Raman Prabhu, for sure. So, what was I saying for you? Oh, about prayer. Interrupted myself. And Radhika Raman Prabhu. Yeah, he was saying how when, when he was a kid, and he was hearing Bhagavatam a lot through his mother, and the story would be going along, and then the prayers would start, and you think, oh, not again, more prayers. <laughs> you know, because... In every section of the Bhagavatam, you're going along with the storyline. There's some Leela unfolding, and all of a sudden, they, okay, now they're going to offer prayers, and the kids are going, oh, no, more prayers. Then he started to realize how important they were. They're the essence of the Srimad Bhagavatam because they establish our relationship with Krishna. And how is that relationship? Because we have to express it from our hearts. It, it is... We, it, our um, relationship with Krishna has gone on, gone unstated for too long, and it's best to be demonstrative about it and come out and really say it. That, that no, I have this relationship. I am fully dependent on you. Thank you for your questions, Divya. And then we have uh, Varsha. I think. Hare Krishna, Guru Maharaj. Okay. Dandar Pranam. Varsana Devi Dasi. Guru Maharaj, I really like the point which you mentioned here. Don't be upset because of the instrument of your karma. So it really uh, helps uh, in life that uh, if there is something, it has to happen. And uh, uh, don't be upset because of that. So it has to happen. It has to happen. Thank you so much for this comment. It's an important principle, Varshana, and thank you for bringing it up. As we find in the first canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, where does this come up in the first canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam where it's highly consequential? For 55 points. Huh? Bull. Bull. If you just said bull, we'll give you 32 points. Huh? The bull uh, dharma says that if you... If I were to name the perpetrator as the direct cause, he said, then I become implicated in the crime itself. What kind of high-minded civilization is this? that when the bull's being attacked, then someone asks him, who did this to you? Rather than becoming a victim and saying, that guy did it. And he's standing right there, the guy who did it. He said, well, I can't really say. Uh, and as it's mentioned in the Bhagavatam, if he would say, if he would name the perpetrator, then he becomes complicit. Very interesting subtlety about that situation. So being able to step back and say, this is the instrument of my karma, is extremely helpful. Caveat. Doesn't mean that we do, don't do due diligence. If somebody's uh, abusing or has committed some uh, atrocity or a transgression of any kind, it has, in a community, in a nation, there are laws and they have to be abided by. And it's not that we just overlook people's transgressions. If someone does something, nonetheless, we can still do it without 
by s- still seeing that person as an instrument over karma, the, the two, their mu- the ideas uh, can be separated, and that way you don't become implicated, but still you do your vyavaharika, which means you do your worldly duty because you have to deal with it. But you do it pragmatically, you do it systematically, methodically, but dispassionately. Kennedy and Mayapur. Hare Krishna, thank you for the lecture today. Um, I was reflecting on how when we're suffering and powerless, we're the furthest out of the material illusion that we really can be. And so because the nature of this world is to suffer, it's even you know the precursor to the mode of goodness. Um, we're actually in the perfect place to come back to Krishna. And on that too, you know, to give credit where credit is due, the only thing that we actually have ownership over is our karma, which is why when we implicate somebody else, we, we name the perpetrator, we're really just pointing out, oh, this person brought me my karma. Well, it was your karma. Thank you very much. Is there a way that although one's suffering, one could become uh, bitter or develop the wrong mentality? That's also possible. There's t- two routes that one can take, which is the route of the, the kings that were imprisoned, and then they admit, admit that my karma is being visited upon me, and they take shelter of Krishna. And somebody else, although they're suffering, they, they may become extremely bitter about it, and then uh, get on a wagon called the victim wagon. It comes around once a day, everyone's house, and they play a little song. It's uh, the title of the song. I forget how the tune goes, but it's Woe Is Me. And then when the cart comes around, they invite anybody who wants to jump on the wagon. You can just jump on, and then they'll drive you around the whole neighborhood. And you can sing this song called Woe Is Me. Woe is me. (laughs) Okay, Mayapur. Hare Krishna Maharaj. Thank you for a wonderful session. Maharaj, this is an extension to the prayer question asked earlier by Divya Mataji online. So Maharaj, uh, personally, sometimes uh, I I also like to offer prayers, but uh, I sometimes stop, uh, you know, asking or talking too much because I tend to realize, at least in my case, it becomes materialistic. For example, I mean, I know the Lord knows my situation very well and offering prayers for spiritual progress is one thing. But uh, I, in fact, I like when I talk in my own language rather than Sanskrit shlokas. And I feel it very personal when I just talk as if I'm talking with a family member. Having said that, over the years and decades I've observed, I tend to be very materialistic for my family, for my health, for my job, and blah, 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 and the list goes on. So how tended to limit it to removing obstacles on spiritual life or for spiritual goals. But at the same time, not, not out of arrogance, or at least that's what I think, that I don't need to ask, but I'm just trying to imbibe that mood. But I completely hear what you say, and I feel that is more personal. So any advice, suggestion, where to draw the line, or how to go about it? One way to go about it is to think about your life and what your priorities are and what you really want. That may sound funny because people might say, I do that all the time. That's all I ever do. But did you do it thoughtfully? 
Did you really take time to go over all the ideas that you have for your life and all the desires and so forth? Likely not. If you do, if you have done it, it's good to redo it on a regular basis and take some time to think about what it is you really want. What's most important to you in, in your life, according to what you've learned from your spiritual practice and what you really need and want, and then write it down and prioritize it and put it in an order. Because then you'll find that a lot of the Various things that you ask for are all under one category. And if you put that category down and then think about it carefully and then put other things on top, you may find that you don't have to go down into those things. You can just ask for the main things that you want in life. So my point is be thoughtful, be really clear about what you want to ask Krishna for because there's an old saying that be careful what you ask for because you might get it. And uh, the <coughs> emblem of that statement is uh, Dhruva Maharaj. After Dhruva, Dhruva Maharaj realized that in his burning desire to show, have revenge on his f father and his mother-in-law, he had gotten something he didn't really want. And at that point, Krishna said, take it anyway. Because he didn't, he had already... Uh, Krishna gives benedictions and he doesn't like taking them back because then the rest of the population starts to think that, well, he, you know, he just says that. He doesn't actually give it to you. So he said, I know you don't want it. Take it anyway. So if we're more thoughtful about what we really want from the very beginning, it's okay. And where do we draw the line? Well, the Bhagavatam is very liberal and says, like in Dhruva Maharaj and elsewhere, whatever you want, if you ask Krishna for it, he'll rectify the situation. Satyam dishyati artito artito rinam naivartito yad punar artito yata swayam vidate bhajatam anichatam ichapidanam nijapadapalavam. Which means that if you become dedicated to Krishna and then you start asking him for all kinds of materialistic things, then he said, the, the verse says, I'll give them but I'll do it in such a way that you won't want them anymore. And instead, I'll give you myself. That's how nice Krishna is. He sorts it out for us. But at least he's coming to me, Krishna says. He doesn't go to some demigod. That's one of the points of the Govardhan uh, adventure. It's really starting at Bhagavad Gita, Kamaistais ter Hritikyana, Prapadyante Nyadevata, Tamtam Nyamamastaya, Prakrita Nyataswaya, Yo Yo Yam Yam Tanum Bhakta. Because you have to know all these six really soon. Shari Architamichiti, Tasyatasa Chalam Shadham, Tameva Vidham Yama, Sataya Shariya Yuktas Tasya Ardanami Hate Labate Chatata Kama, Mayaiva Vitan Hitan, Antavatu Palam Tesham, Tad Bhavatyal Tamedasan, Devan Devi Joyanti, Madbhakta Yanti Mamapi. So all these verses Krishna is saying in the in the Bhagavad Gita. Hey, you have desires, but don't go to Davis. Don't go to Davis. You just come to me. And ultimately, as you know, Akama Sarvakamova, Shukadev Goswami. I mean, who you can approach Shukadev Goswami, you'd think you'd get an answer like this? It's shocking, isn't it? He's such a renunciate. He doesn't even wear clothes. No style whatsoever. No style. And 
And so he just says, whatever you ask for, whatever it is, totally materialistic, you're a complete renunciate, or you want devotional service, just ask Krishna for it. He'll work it out, work the details out later. That's how nice Krishna is. Okay, we have two more, and then we got to, three more, and then we got to stop. Fuck to Tim. Hare Krishna Maharaj, thank you for the great class. I just have a quick reflection. I, something I thought that was just like hilarious from today's reading was uh, Jarasandha's, uh, um, <clears throat> the score between Krishna and Jarasandha. It's Jarasandha 1, Krishna 17. Um, so I thought that was funny because even in the mundane sense, you have so many great rivalries. You can list them off. Ali Foreman, uh, Celtics Lakers, uh, in, in, in the Mahabharata even, there's a great rivalry between Krishna and, or excuse me, between Arjuna and Karna. It's very, you know, it's close. And, and so because uh, Jarasandha is not a devotee, it's not even, there's no flavor there. It's like, seven, it's, he's getting blown out. But in the case with uh, Bhishma, Bhishma and uh, Krishna or Vishnu, um, uh, Parashuram, it's a, it's a great like, battle that goes over the ages, and it's, a, it's, it's got a lot of flavor. There's like, heat and like, uh, something you want to watch. You, know, you don't want to watch some kind of blowout. So there's, there's a difference in the flavor just because uh, Bhishma is a devotee, Jarasandha is an atheist or whatever. So thank you. Yeah, that's a really astute analysis. And Krishna keeps everybody on the ed- edge. And it's nice to lo- a championship team to lose one game, like one big game. It's like, how did that happen? And then you're sort of there for the next one. Could it happen again? Are they going to win? Yeah. A couple more. Prabhu, um, I just want to thank you for um, teaching us and introducing us to learn all these prayers. Um, I wanted to share one reflection. Um, this time when we went for Yatra to, to Puri, um, we all went together as a, like all the devotees from ISV were there, some of them. And we went um, towards the end of our darshan for that day. It was, we went to Sakshi Gopal Temple. And um, there were thousands of <laughs> devotees in the line to take darshan. It was really hot. And the line was super long. So we were just thinking what to do because towards the end of the day. And um, Mukharavinda Prabhu was standing right next to us. He started the Brahma Samhita. <laughs> and then um, uh, once he started Brahma Samhita, uh, we chanted the entire Brahma Samhita. Then, um, then we were thinking, oh, this is taking long. And uh, Prabhu said that maybe we should leave now. And then I said, no, 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 we have Bhagavatam first canto, second chapter. <laughs> we did that. We did 15 chapter of Bhagavad Gita. We did, we did so many verses. Um, uh, with, and we didn't have any specific desire to ask for Krishna. But um, we just reached uh, right in front of the deity. And that was the most sweetest darshan um, that we had. Um, because we were just chanting prayers because we just wanted to please Krishna. We didn't have any desire to ask for. And uh, we noticed... Um, the ankle bells of Sakshi Gopal, the big, big ankle bells and beautiful features and everything. So I, I, just, I just thought that uh, thank you for teaching us and asking us to memorize all these prayers. It's a great spiritual asset to have, isn't it? And I was noticing this morning when we were chanting Prahlad's prayers, they're a little longer than divinity and divine service, right? <laughs> How many verses is it? 55 total? 40? It's more than 42. 7 to, f- seven to 51. How many we got? 
45. I think Brajaras Bhavana wrote to me, he said, get the 45. He said, no, it doesn't sound right. <laughs> but I've, I felt a trance-like situation when you get into Sanskrit and any, after some time, when you get in that vortex of the sound vibration, then all the other problems get pushed out. Isn't it amazing? In some ways, it's either, easy, even easier than chanting the Maha Mantra, because those verses, they have some meters that you know, it gets our mind going, and it's a safe place to take refuge, and it's definitely a great asset to carry with you when you go to visit the holy places. That's it, right? Okay, dear Srila Prabhupada, dear Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Sri Sri Panchatapha, Sri Sri Radha Madan Mohan, Sri Man Mahaprabhu, Sri Sri Lakshmi Nishringadev, if you so desire, please let us offer articulated prayers after great consideration about what's most important in life. Please help us to expand global book distribution in every language, since we're already at 38%. And uh, please... Uh, <coughs> Empower us to travel all over the world to teach Krishna consciousness and let the devotees here at ISV become emissaries for different countries around the world to spread particular languages. And please let us beat Mayapur and anybody else. Thank you for considering our request. Om Tat Sat. Everyone agrees with this prayer in whole or in part, please unmute and say Hare Krishna. 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 Hare